read the word of the Lord this evening in 2 Samuel chapter 22. Second Samuel 21, the preceding chapter, records the history of David as he led the Israelites into battle against the Philistines. They had a great victory over the Philistines. They killed a number of the giants, these men that had six fingers and six toes. And now, having returned back home after this victory over the Philistines, David offers unto God this Psalm of rejoicing. Second Samuel 22. And David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my rock, in him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation my high tower, and my refuge, my Savior. Thou savest me from violence. I will call on the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. And the waves of death compassed me. The floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress... I called upon the Lord and cried to my God, and he did hear my voice out of his temple, and my cry did enter into his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of heaven moved and shook because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils, and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and did fly. And he was seen upon the wings of the wind. And he made darkness pavilions round about him, dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. Through the brightness before him were coals of fire kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice, and he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and discomfited them. And the channels of the sea appeared, the foundations of the world were discovered at the rebuking of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, and from them that hated me, for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also upright before him, and have kept myself from mine iniquity. 
Therefore the Lord hath recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his eyesight. With the merciful thou wilt show thyself merciful, and with the upright man thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure thou wilt show thyself pure, and with the froward thou wilt show thyself unsavory. In the afflicted people thou shalt save, but mine eyes are upon the ha- thine eyes are upon the haughty, that thou mayest bring them down. For thou art my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord will lighten my darkness. For by thee have I run through a troop, by my God have I leaped over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect, the word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. For who is God save the Lord? And who is a rock save our God? God is my strength and power. And he maketh my way perfect. And maketh my feet like hinds feet. And setteth me upon my high places. He teacheth my hands to war. So that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy gentleness hath made me great. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me, so that my feet did not slip. I have pursued mine enemies and destroyed them, and turned not again until I had consumed them. And I have consumed them and wounded them, that they could not arise. Yea, they are fallen under my feet. Thou hast girded me with strength to battle. Them that rose up against me hast thou subdued under me. Thou hast also given me the necks of mine enemies, that I might destroy them that hate me. They looked, but there was none to save, even unto the Lord, but he answered them not. Then did I beat them as small as the dust of the earth. I did stamp them as the mire of the street, and it spread them abroad. Thou also hast delivered me from the strivings of my people. Thou hast kept me to be head of the heathen, a people which I know not, knew not, shall serve me. Strangers shall submit themselves unto me. As soon as they hear, they shall be obedient unto me. Strangers shall fade away, and they shall be afraid out of their close places. The Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of the rock of my salvation. It is God that avengeth me, and that bringeth down the people under me, and that bringeth me forth from mine enemies. Thou also hast lifted me up on high above them that rose up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and I will sing praises unto thy name. He is the tower of salvation for his king, and showeth mercy to his anointed, unto David, and to his seed forevermore. Thus far we read the holy and inerrant word of God. May God add his blessing upon the reading of his holy scriptures. 
It's on the basis of 2 Samuel 22 and many other passages of Scripture that we find the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 46. Question 120, why hath Christ commanded us to address God thus, our Father? That immediately, in the very beginning of our prayer, he might excite in us a childlike reverence for and confidence in God. We try the foundation of our prayer, namely, that God is become our Father in Christ will much less deny us what we ask of him in true faith, and our parents will refuse us earthly things. Why is it here added, which art in heaven? Lest we should form any earthly conceptions of God's heavenly majesty, and that we may expect from his almighty power all things necessary for soul and body. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Heidelberg Catechism has been teaching us about prayer. Instruction that every Christian recognizes the necessity of, or who would say that he or she has arrived in his or her prayer life. We all recognize the shortcomings that we have in prayer the infrequency which characterizes our prayers and the lack of fervency when we do offer prayers unto God. And so we with the disciples of old ask, Jesus Christ, teach us to pray. Prayer, we noted last week, is entering into the consciousness of God the awareness of the fact that God is near unto me and speaking to him. It is as simple as that and it is as profound as that. It is entering into the awareness of the fact that God is near to me and speaking to him as my father. We look this evening at the opening address of the model prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples. This is not a petition. This is not a doxology. This is not a form of praise, although it does give praise unto God. But this is the opening address of the prayer. Our Father which art in heaven. Teach us to pray our Father. First, we will consider his fatherly love. Second, his heavenly majesty. We've been looking at question 121. Why is it here added, which art in heaven? His heavenly majesty. And then third, our confidence in him. Teach us to pray our Father, his fatherly love, his heavenly majesty, our confidence in him. 
the identity of the one to whom we pray is that he is our Father. This is how Jesus Christ himself taught his disciples to pray. When they came to him asking him to teach them how to pray, Jesus responded by saying, Our Father which art in heaven. This is not to say that that's exclusively the way that we must address God when we come to him in prayer. There are other acceptable forms of address, other forms of address used throughout the Bible. We can address him as the king, sovereign. We can address him as almighty and omnipotent God. We can address him as Jehovah, the covenant-keeping God. And yet the form of address that Jesus used in teaching his disciples was the words, Our Father, our Father which art in heaven. This is a phrase so simple that even the children can begin to understand what it means as the children relate to their father and as children speak to their father. They have a picture there of what happens when we, in prayer, speak unto our father. But although it's simple enough for children to understand, it is a truth so deep and so profound that we can hardly begin to understand what it means that God is our Father. For how can it be that this one, this being, who is uncreated and uncaused, without beginning of days and without ending of days, is my Father? How can it be that this invisible God who is thrice holy permits a sinner like me into his presence and I speak with him and I call him according to the instruction of his son, my father, my father. That God is my father and that I address him in prayer as my father means that I am created of God, begotten, rather created of Him. For Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. It means that apart from God, I would not have an existence. But God, my Father, is the one who shaped me. And He shaped me exactly the way that He wants me to be. If He gave unto me many abilities, if He gave unto me much strength, if He gave unto me an outgoing personality that draws many people unto me, then God, my Father, created me and shaped me that way. But if He shaped me in such a way that I am oftentimes sick, that I am weak, if He gave unto me few Ability so that I struggle to learn and struggle to understand, then my Father did that. When we come unto Him in prayer, we, we recognize that. We aren't angry with Him for how He created us. 
he created us that way as our Father. A Father who loves us. We pray unto the one who cares for us. He understands what we go through upon this earth. He understands exactly because he is our father. When David led the Israelites into war against the Philistines and against Saul, and David faced enemies who were far stronger than him and far mightier than him, and David understood that he was a small man before giants who had the strength to consume him, our Father understood what David was going through. And when we go through trials of this life and face giants that would destroy us and against whom we are very small people, our Father understands. Why does He understand? The Catechism teaches us how it is that God understands. He understands according to the middle of 120, the answer, because God is become our Father in Christ. That's why God understands the trials, the temptations, the burdens that we bear up under. Because God is become our Father in Jesus Christ. And it's through Christ and the incarnation and the lifelong suffering through the humiliation, through the crucifixion, through the descent into hell, through the death, and through the burial of God's own Son, Jesus Christ, that God, our Father, understands what we go through as we walk through this earthly pilgrimage. God has become our Father in Christ. And so this stands over against then the false teachings of what is called the universal fatherhood of God. The universal fatherhood of God would say that God is, by virtue of Him being the Creator God, automatically the Father of everybody, head for head upon the face of this earth. And so it does not matter whether one is a Christian or an unbeliever, whether one has faith or whether one walks unrepentantly in ways of wickedness, God is universally the Father of every single person upon the face of this earth. But you see what the universal fatherhood of God denies, do you not? It denies the power of sin. You say that everybody on the face of this earth, regardless of whether they've had their sins covered with the blood of Jesus Christ, have access unto the Father, is to strip the Father of His holiness. It's to say that God the Father doesn't care 
whether the people that he has created upon this earth walk in obedience unto him or not, because everybody, head for head, has access unto the Father and can speak unto the Father. It denies the teaching of Jesus in John 8, verse 44. Ye are of your father, the devil. That's our confession too this evening that by nature we're the children of the devil. The devil ruled over us. The devil had the mastery of us. We did what the devil wanted us to do. This is how great the Father's love is for us. That even though we were the children of the devil, while we were yet sinners, he sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. We call him our Father because he adopted us into his family. He adopted us from all eternity with that unchangeable, sovereign decree of election. And he, as it were, took his pen and wrote down in the Lamb's Book of Life the names of every single one of his children. He took us and he adopted us into his family. And then he sealed those adoption papers with the blood of his son Jesus Christ shed for you and for me and for all of God's children at the cross. And so you can begin to understand, beloved, the depth of that statement when we begin our prayers saying, Our Father. Not our Father in a natural sense. An earthly father can beget a natural child in a physical sense. When we say that God is our father, we are making a confession that is far deeper than that. That God is become our father in Christ. And this cost God his only begotten son to take us into his family, our Father. As our Father, He knows our needs. As His Father, He provides for us. And as our Father, He teaches us. David confessed that in Second Samuel 22, verse 35 and 36. He teacheth my hands to war, so that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy gentleness hath made me great. Our Father. And so when we use those words in prayer, then let us do so aware of the significance of those words. It's not just a form of address that we utter under our breath without even thinking about it before we get to the real meat 
of the prayer later on. But when we address God as our Father, we are using a phrase that is loaded, rich, with significance and with love. Our Father, which art in heaven. Heaven. The Catechism speaks of God as being in heaven. 121, why is it here added which art in heaven? The answer, lest we should form any earthly conceptions of God's heavenly majesty and that we may expect from his almighty power all things necessary for soul and body. And the catechism is wise in answering the question of what is the meaning of the fact that God is in heaven? Wise, because it cannot mean that God is locally bound to this place called heaven. I think that, well, as I recall from when I was a child, and perhaps others who are children have a similar idea, that when we pray to our Father in heaven, the idea is God is in heaven, and I am on this earth, and now because God is in heaven, I have to address him as Father in heaven in order to get his attention so that you will pay attention to me upon this earth. But that's not the idea, the meaning of praying unto our Father which is in heaven. If it were the case that God is bound, limited to this location called heaven, and that we then are bound and limited to this place called earth, then, then would there not be a separation between God and us? It would be a chasm between us. And if it were the case that there was, was this division between us, then we would have to be like the prophets of Baal. Remember when there was that competition on Mount Carmel, when the faithful prophet was going to offer a sacrifice unto God, Elijah, the other, the other prophets, the false prophets, were going to offer a sacrifice unto their false gods, Baal and Asherah. Then remember what the false prophets did? They danced and they leapt upon their altar. They cried out at the top of their lungs trying to get the attention of their God. And remember that they were taunted, they were they were mocked even. The faithful prophet cried out to them, cry louder. Maybe your God is, is sleeping. Maybe your God's busy. Cry out a little louder. Then maybe your God will pay attention to you. They even cut themselves in an attempt to get their false God to pay attention to them. How frightening it would be if God was limited to heaven and we were confined to this earth, and we had to cry out and dance and leap and even cut ourselves in order to get the attention of our God in prayer. No, when we say, Our Father which art in heaven, we are not testifying that our God is limited to heaven and we are upon 
this earth. But the meaning, as it's explained to us in the, in the Heidelberg Catechism, is that our God is filled with heavenly majesty. To say that our God dwells in heaven is to say that our God is divine. Our God is transcendent. Our God is replete with holiness and with majesty. Our God is not limited or confined to this earth. Our God is not a mere human being who faces the limitations and the weaknesses that we as human beings upon this earth must bear up under. David, in 2 Samuel 22, confessed the greatness of God. Verse 10, what is our God capable of? He bowed the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and did fly, and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. Verse 14, how great is our God. The Lord thundered from the heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, and he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and discomfited them. This is the God to whom we go when we pray, Our Father which art in heaven, the God who is supreme over all things upon this earth, the God who answers to nobody because He is the highest being, the God who is the source of all that has life, and that all that has its existence upon this earth. The God who is holy and who is pure, who is devoted unto Himself with perfect holiness. Why? Because He is good. And His holiness demands that He be devoted unto the highest good, which is Himself. This is our great God, transcendent and omnipotent, Gracious and merciful, uncreated, without beginning of days or ending of days. And it is to this great God that we speak when we pray. And so you understand then the need for reverence when we say, Our Father, which art in heaven. He is the God who is filled with justice, who destroys all who are unrighteous. He is the God who hates all workers of iniquities. He is the God who does not wink at sin, the God who does not ignore rebelliousness, but the God who loves and delights in light, and the God who hates all that is darkness. What reverence ought to characterize us when we go to God in prayer. We do not come before Him with haughtiness of heart. We do not come before Him with arrogance, with pride 
himself with confidence of what we have done or of what who we are. We do not come to him in prayer because we're members of the right denomination, because we have the right family name. We come to God, our Father in heaven, only because of and in the way of his Son, Jesus Christ. This reverence that we have for God in prayer impacts the way in which we speak to him. We do not address him flippantly in prayer. We don't view him as just an old friend, an acquaintance, a pal. It's why we in the Protestant Reformed churches have the practice of using thee and thou not because it is explicitly required in the word of God, but because it helps us to have the right mindset as we go in prayer before our Father, which art in heaven. It's why we teach our children to bow their heads as they go before God in prayer, because God is infinitely greater and we who are creatures, it's why we fold our hands and close our eyes so that we do not be distracted when we come into the awareness of the presence of the thrice holy God and address our Father, which art in heaven. Knowing that he is our Father in heaven, we have great confidence as we address him. Our confidence is, in the first place, that he will hear our prayer. He will hear our prayers for Jesus' sake. The Catechism speaks of the trust that we have in him. The end of answer 120, God will much less deny us what we ask of him in true faith, then our parents will refuse us earthly things. Because Jesus Christ has opened up the way unto the Father, and because Jesus Christ takes our prayers and intercedes on our behalf so that our prayers arise unto our Father as a sweet-smelling incense, we may have the confidence that God will hear our prayers. And then notice as well here the conviction that the writers of the catechism have. That God will much less deny us what we ask of him in true faith and what our parents will refuse us earthly things. And again, answer 121, the second half, that we may expect from his almighty power all things necessary for soul and body. It does not say you may have some degree of certainty that God will hear and answer your prayer. Not there's a degree of probability that God will answer your petitions, but it says that we may expect 
from his almighty power all things necessary for soul and body. Almighty power. That's why we can be confident that God will hear and answer our prayers because he has almighty power. And the second point we spoke of, the almighty power of God and the transcendence of God and the caution was given that we must be reverent and humble as we come into the presence of that thrice holy God. But we may now consider the heavenly majesty of God from a different perspective. And that perspective is this. He is able to give us what we ask of Him in true faith. He's able to give it unto us exactly because He is our Father, which art in heaven. See, there are times where earthly fathers would love to give a gift unto their children. Earthly fathers would love to protect their children, to guard their children from evil. But earthly fathers because of their own limitations and because of their own weaknesses, are unable to provide for and care for their children as an earthly father would desire to do. But our Father in heaven faces no such limitations. Cattle are his the lilies of the field are his. The eagles soaring through the sky belong to the Father. The insects crawling along the ground are created by our Father. Our Father is able to give unto us all that we stand in need of. And when we pray unto our Father, with this conviction of faith, our Father is glorified. He is glorified because, rather not because, our prayers are so perfect, so holy of themselves. No, it's necessary that Jesus Christ take every single one of our prayers and sanctify them so that they arise before Father as that sweet-smelling incense. He is glorified when we pray unto him with conviction of faith because we are doing what God has created us to do. Prayer is covenant fellowship with God. It's going before our Father, praising him, exalting his name, extolling his worth, thanking him for what he has done for us. And so may that be on our minds as we take these words upon our lips, our Father which art in heaven. It is my duty to give glory unto God. That's why I want to pray unto Him. Not just 
so that I can bring my burdens unto Him. Not just so that I can beseech His help and His strength to be given unto me. Not just so that I can ask for the pardon of my sins with the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. But at a more basic level, I want to pray to my Father who is in heaven so that I might glorify His great and holy name. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, Thou art the God who hast established Thy covenant with us, and who as our covenant Father dost give unto us the ability to pray unto Thee. What a wonder of Thy grace that our prayers, oftentimes offered in weakness and in sin, are received by Thee and are able to give glory unto Thee. This is only possible because of Thy Son, who is our elder brother, who loves us so much that He laid down His life for us. Bless us in this week ahead. Teach us to pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.